You are listening to the Alouette's Flight Deck, a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. All right, folks, we've been clear for takeoff. Welcome to Alex Flight Deck, podcast dedicated to Montreal Alouettes football, presented by Sport Buff. I am Tim Capper, along with Cliffy Day. Hey, sir, how are you, bud? Hey, now. Well, <sighs> we survived. It wasn't we as it wasn't as cold as the, as funny as the week before, but nope. I, I just don't remember it beginning to rain. <laughs> it was such a light rain; it really didn't have much of an effect. Yeah, and it wasn't too bad until after we got out of the stadium. I found. Uh-huh. Uh huh. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Part of me was kind of wishing I had scotch guarded the old Delta jacket, but uh, oh, you know. dough. Well, I was the smart one and brought an umbrella. <laughs> <laughs> I was the smart yeah, one. So, but we, man, it's you know we're coming up on games now that are very important. Considering, and we're going to talk about what happened. You know, this head to head, this upcoming head to head versus sorry, home and home versus versus Winnipeg is going to be huge and. Um, to, to talk about it, our guest this week is uh, is Darren Bombing um, from BonfireSports.ca. Mm-hmm. He'll be joining us to talk about it. Yeah, good, good Winnipeg guy. Uh, you know, very, very knowledgeable, very in depth with the Bombers uh, and pretty much everything Winnipeg. So uh, yeah, we're definitely really excited to be able to talk to him and get his perspective on things with the, uh, you know, with this upcoming uh, home and home series versus the Blue Bombers. Yeah. So talk about that coming up. Interesting tidbits, obviously, but this game itself, uh, the game versus the Riders, yes, it was a very important game um, because with us, you know, being in first place for, you know, since the first time since 2014 and then it, I don't know, uh, you know, I just wanted It was fun while it lasted. Huh? It was fun while it lasted. Yeah, well, well, as long as it lasted, you know, but, you know, you know, when you have a, just what it is, when you have a show like you did in the first half where nothing happened, you hold the ball for 21 minutes, you score three points, you know, 21 minutes, and then, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was tough. It, it, it Both offenses really struggled to to make anything happen. Like, I mean, a lot of people will say, well, that's a defensive effort then. Like, sure, but I mean, it doesn't make for very exciting football, and it's just frustrating, too, because it's you, you can't look at it and say, like, you know, Saskatchewan was that much better you know, but they made the most of their opportunities, however small they were. And I think that was the, the frustrating thing more than anything else is, especially too, when you're holding on to the ball for 21 minutes out of 30 in that first half, and all you have to show for it is a David Cote field goal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's definitely a head scratcher. And you look at it and say, okay, well, where, where could the team have improved? And like, okay, uh, Matthew Schultz wasn't connecting with the receivers. Uh, you give the ball to stand back, and he didn't get a whole lot of rushing done. I mean, it was... It was weird. I'm like, okay, like obviously these two teams came to play, but I mean, like, there's just they can't seem to get it figured out for the most part. No, and I think there needs to be a little bit of context before we lead into the game itself and talk about the game, Cliff, because you know, as you and I joke continuously, and as I have in the career that I've done podcasting in the 20 plus years, that after you tape, and I think the guys over the Turf District know all about this, by the way, <laughs> uh, is that. News came out after we had taped the show. And in my opinion, it was something very 
that I did. So I looked at it, and as I told you before, my reaction really was, ooh, that doesn't sound good. And that was finding out that, you know, quarterback Matthew Schiltz sat out the last practice on Thursday because of a knee issue as it showed up on the injury report. Hmm. And right there, as I said, after seeing what happened with the game and the resulting change in quarterback, no matter what was said, I still think it was a bigger deal than, you know, than it just was showing on, on the, on paper because hmm. so, something wasn't right. He, he didn't, yeah, it, Matt didn't see, he, he seemed okay, mobile mostly, but he didn't do much running. The third down gambles that were failed were a, a, a head scratcher. So maybe, you know, when you heard that Matt had a knee injury at first, what did you think? And then go to what you saw during the game. Well, I was definitely skeptical because, I mean, you know, he's, he's taken a few shots this year uh, from opposing teams. And, of course, you know, you, there is wear and tear that happens throughout the football season. It just seemed awfully convenient, though, that, you know, you got the brand new quarterback in and he's going to get some reps in with the team during practice. And now all of a sudden your starting quarterback, the guy you've been leaning on for the past three games, now all of a sudden has a knee injury. I'm like, OK, yes, injuries can happen, but, you know, it just it didn't quite pass the smell test for me. Like that's, okay. that's how it came across to me. It's like, this seems awfully convenient. Like this just opens up a whole new narrative, if you will, for the Alouettes, because now my, my thought was, okay, the only way you're going to get Matthew Schiltz out of this game is if he's injured. And now that you've sort of planted that seed that, well, he did have that, you know, he did sit up practice because his knee was bothering him. Like, okay, this seems awfully convenient because, you know, you're trying to find a way to get Trevor Harris into the game, you know, to see if, you know, to see what you got. Because you go, you you went out, you, I don't want, don't want to say the Alouettes blew their brains out to get him, but at the same time, this is, as I said, a very expensive insurance policy. So you want to see what he, you want to see what you basically gave up a, a starting defensive lineman for. Right. At some point, you've got to get him into a game. We accept that. We accept the fact that sooner or later, you would have had to see Trevor Harris under center for the Alouettes. My thought was, if Matthew Schiltz is playing and playing well, you don't need to see him. Nece- you don't need to see Harris necessarily. If he starts, even if Schiltz starts to falter, you got to get you. I think he's earned the benefit of the doubt. You've, he's, he's earned the opportunity. If he gets himself into a hole, he's earned the right to dig himself out of that hole. But now you got this injury thing happening. Now you can sort of say, well, he's injured. We don't we want to protect him. Let's get Trevor Harris in there. Like and just the fact that with that lackluster first half of football, coupled with the fact that Schiltz threw a pick to Luches Purifoy in the first half, which led to the Riders' touchdown. Their only uh, touchdown, by the way. Their only touchdown. But give Purifoy all the all the props, though. It was a he read it properly. He read the mail. He I mean, read like, it properly. Now Schiltz should have had know, another one. By the way, are you kind? Of, it sounds like you're kind of making their. Uh, you're kind of hinting at at something that also happened with the Alouettes a few years back too, when it came to VA and us also having other starting quarterbacks that the, the Alouettes traded for. Right. Uh, for those of you with short memories, uh, let's go back to 2018 <laughs> when uh, we got VA back in the fold and he was about to be well, essentially was going to become the starting quarterback. And then all of a sudden, the general manager at the time, Cavis Reed, decided to swing a deal for one Johnny Menzel. And you ran into that same situation where, OK, you've got a decent quarterback behind center who's been waiting for this opportunity to prove himself. And now this uh, much heralded free agent or uh, superstar, if you will, is now is, is, 
Yeah, I, I, I say this with tongue firmly planted in cheek. <laughs> Superstar all in lowercase letters, in quotation marks, and in small print. Pretty much, with a big old asterisk, but again. Yeah, no, no, we're... that's reserved, that's reserved, for, that's still reserved for the Riders game uh, in, in 2019. Right. The rain, well, the rain shortened game, I'm sorry. Oh, but, but, maybe but, a smaller asterisk. All right, but we digress. <laughs> so yes, Johnny Manziel is now in uniform. Now all of a sudden all the focus is when's Johnny Manziel going to be quarterbacking for the Alouettes? Whether or not he's ready is clearly not the issue. It's just a matter of we got to get this guy in because we basically blew our brains out to get him and we got to be able to show something for it. Hold on, I, I got to set the stage. Go ahead. We want Johnny. <laughs> we want Johnny. That's exactly what it was. Yeah, if you if you ever want to see what it was like to watch, uh, basically, you know, fifteen thousand people slap a quarterback in the face, that was pretty much it. When uh, they did that, when quote unquote Alouettes fans did that to Vernon Adams, who I'm sure never forgot that, and you know, yeah, because because people you know. need to remember too at the time, uh, VA got the st- got the start that week versus Edmonton over Drew Willie. I don't remember if Drew was hurt or, or I, I can't remember the the what happened. But then Menzel started the next week versus Hamilton. Everybody remembers what a giant cluster that game was. First, first CFL pass pick. Um, so, anyways, continue. Sorry. Yes. Okay. To make a long story short, and essentially what it came down to was Vernon Adams never got a chance to play quarterback for the Alouettes again that season, and a lot of it was because he was quote unquote hurt. And we have it in pretty good authority that if. Vernon Adams absolutely had to play that season. He absolutely could have. But as we said, you get this free agent acquisition or, you know, this quote unquote superstar acquisition. You got to get him in the game. You got to get him playing good, bad or other. So, you know, VA gets cast aside uh, under the guise of an injury. And now with Trevor Harris here, and I'm believe me, I'm not by any stretch of the imagination comparing Trevor Harris to Johnny Manziel. But you did pay a pretty penny to get this guy's services mm-hmm. as as your as I said the insurance policy prorated or not. <laughs> Regardless, yep. he's he's here. He's under center. He's wearing a uniform. He's dressed. He's by and, and, and where are the old go. number Billy Parker? By the way, Billy Parker, Antonio Pipkin. Uh, yeah. yeah, he's. Uh, but there's no way in hell, especially especially, especially with the tribute to John Bowman. There is no way in Jesus. hell they were going to give him his number seven. There is no way. Oh, I you want to see a full blown riot? That would that would definitely do it. <laughs> uh, yeah, like, but again, we're we're deviating completely from the topic here. But uh, now Matthew Schiltz, who has played extremely well, all things considered, in relief for Vernon Adams, as far as I'm concerned, he he deserves the opportunity to prove that he can he can still play and win, even with Trevor Harris kind of waiting in the wings. Which he did do. He did do. His, his he, did. he did. His first two starts were really good. He did. I mean, he, he led that heroic comeback on Thanksgiving. He yeah. played two extremely good games, you know, leading up to this game against the Riders. And, okay, he started faltering a little bit. Things didn't quite work. But, again, it wasn't working any better for Saskatchewan either. Like, both teams really struggled defensively. But I think the first out, like, this is this this in, this knee injury felt like a bit of an out as far as, uh, you know, okay, if, if things go sideways in this game, pull him out. You know, because we want we want to protect his knee, quote unquote, and put Trevor Harrison since you know we we got to see you know we got to see what this guy can do if if anything. So okay, and I, go ahead. I understand what where you're getting, and I understand what you what you, you, you I, what I think you're hinting at. But but my thought my thought on the situation is this: Matt did not have a good game. 
at all. As I said, we may have held the ball for for 21 minutes in the first half, but we had three points on the board. There was the one pick. There should have been the the other one was uh, nullified because of a a challenge. Mm -hmm. Matt did not. And to be honest, when Harris was put in, I'm surprised he wasn't put in sooner because the Owls did nothing in the third. I think they had one. Did they have one offensive series in the third? Uh, essentially. Two, two at most? Right. So uh, in, in all honesty, I understand where you're coming from with this. I'm going to disagree with what I think you're hinting at in reference to what happened with VA, etc. But I think I think something had to change. And if he is hurt, yes, I understand there are a, uh, a ton of similarities between with VA and Matt Schiltz. Especially it looks like with what's happening this week with Harris starting and Schiltz most likely being placed on the one game. He has to. He is on the one game. Yeah. So yeah. I understand what you're getting at. I, I disagree with it, though. I think Matt, I think Matt actually is hurt. And he, and he was playing he was playing horribly. I think the normal Matt Schiltz, you would have had a couple of those third, third, uh, third down gambles that would have been made. Mm-hmm. And it may have swung it differently. And it, it certainly didn't help Matt either that the offensive line is pretty well banged up. Yeah. And the depth that we hoped would be there just wasn't quite there. I don't know what. I mean, we lost our center again. Uh, yep. So uh, <laughs> there was a shift again. So so Christian Matt had to switch again to center. Mm-hmm. Not, not, and by the way, there's no slight on Christian. Yeah, we know what he's done. And we know how good of a, of a center he is. But he's also better elsewhere. Right. And he spent most of the season at guard yeah. and doing a terrific job at it. But again, these injuries are starting to pile up now for the defensive line, and it's it's disconcerting to say the least because you saw a lot of it, and I think that's a lot of the reason too why William Stanback didn't quite have the monster game that we would have expected out of him because mm-hmm. this line they managed to create a couple of holes for him, but not nearly enough. I mean, like I I really think that Schultz wanted to lean a little bit more on Stanback, but and when he did, it just got bottled up. I mean, like the like. Kudos to the the riders. Uh, their defensive line did a great job in stopping this guy dead in his tracks mm-hmm. for the most part. Uh, so, I mean, some of the blame has to go on Schultz for for the play. I think a lot of it more has to do with the fact that you have a decimated O-line. Uh, what I felt was a lot of scared play calling by Kahari, believe it or not. Uh, like I'll, I'll say maybe conservative might be a better way to term it. But, I mean, at the time it felt like, okay, you're you're – this is scared play calling. And I, I said this before and I said it again, scared money don't make money. I mean, you sometimes you got to take those chances. Sometimes you just got to, you know, gamble and, and make, try to make something happen, especially too when you, you, you've got three points to show for your first half of football. Mm. I mean, I know at that point, adjustments have to be made for the second half. And it didn't really feel like they did until Trevor Harris got in. And for, even then, sure. like the, the first couple of series for him were, were no great shakes either. So it's not like he was going to be the ultimate fix-all for, for the Alouette's woes. Well, give him, yeah, I think it was at like four days of practice, three days of practice, something like that. You know, he, he is a veteran. He's not Johnny Manziel. And he did, I mean, maybe if he would have started the third, maybe something might, might something different might have might have occurred. I don't know. Because, I mean, again, at that point, we we're only down by four. We we're down by four at halftime. Mm-hmm. You know, we're only down by 10 after the third. So... But to me, again, to me, like it, this is why I, I sincerely hope that Matthew Shields really was hurt. And that being the reason why he wasn't able to, as I said, dig himself out of that hole, because I definitely think he had earned the opportunity to to right any wrongs that had happened during that game. And it just felt like they came, there came to be a point where it was like, as I said, it felt like Kahari hit the panic button. I said, OK, 
Schiltz out, Harris in. And I mean, people will say like that changed the fortune for the Alouettes, but it wasn't like an instant fix. No, no. But I, I think I think your 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 thought process would have a little would have a little bit more credence to it if if Schiltz were back up this week and not on the one game. Because look, look who we have as our backup this week. You know, mm-hmm. so I mean, I get your point. I get, I get what you're getting, and I, I thought the same thing too. But you know, after Herb Zerkowski of the Gazette broke that, <sighs> you know, Matt was not going to play, Harris was going to start. It kind of made sense to me. Mm. So yeah, I think I, I know you and I are thinking slightly different. I mean, everything, everything else across the board, the defense was doing great. I mean, there were some questions. Let's get to the stats here. We can talk about the game because. You know, as you said, there were some questionable calls. There really were. So Owls lost 1914 to this to the Rough Riders and announced only of 11,817. Normal years, I would be concerned. Mm-hmm. But to be honest with you, COVID year is kind of weird. COVID year is kind of weird. The, the, wet, the elements the wet, is get, The weather it, was garbage again, <clears throat> even though it was a yeah. Saturday. And again, I, I still think these night games in October... Don't bode well for the Owls, in my opinion. <laughs> I mean, just I can only imagine what it's gonna be like for the for the uh, for the home finale, mm. <laughs> a Friday oh, night, mid mid November at seven thirty. And hopefully, at that point, Montreal will have already sewn up a playoff spot. So you know, yes, which, at, which, in which case, which we'll talk. About. You know, yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, so. Matt Schultz, only 7 of 13, 106 yards and a pick. Uh, Trevor Harris, when he came in, 12 of 15, 123 and a touchdown. William Stanback had 80, 80. He ended up improving to 19 carries, 80 yards, 4.2 average. It's not like last week's. Trevor Harris also had three rushes for 31 yards. Matt only was 4 of 11. See, that, see, that there makes me think, too. I mean, there is something to it as well. Mm-hmm. I mean... I mean, for, I mean, Cody, Cody Fajardo did not do that well either. You look at his stats, and I shake my head because he was only fourteen to twenty-five for one hundred and fifty-eight yards. Yeah, I mean, like he, he's supposed to be like the this great uh, savior, and everybody, you know, was all over his jock uh, for the most the better part of the year. But I mean, he did not play all that great. No, no. At, at halftime, only two receivers had had been thrown ball had been thrown balls to for the Owls. Mm-hmm. So uh, Reggie Reggie White Jr. led the team with yardage. Uh, uh, he was a five for seven. Uh, sorry, he was a uh, yeah, five for seven. So five receptions on seven targets for seventy four yards. Eugene Lewis uh, was at fifty four yards on five receptions. He had the lone touchdown. Nice touchdown too. Nice touchdown catch in the fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. Uh, Stanbeck actually got it. He was he had twenty five yards and four catches. Jake Winnegan got his first catch in two games. Uh, Thirty four yard catch. Uh, and Quan Bray also had 34 yards on three receptions. Um, David Gote, I'm proud, perfect, yay. Uh, <laughs> um, Joseph Zima did good, less that, which I don't get, that one punt, which got a penalty on because it flew out out of bounds before the 20. Yeah, it almost looked like it, it kind of knuckleballed its way out of there. <laughs> I think the rest were on crack on that one. Um, I really do. I thought it went farther than what it did. I've always, I mean, I should, I've always wanted to have a conversation with a referee on how they determine that type of thing when there are no shadows. Because, okay, you can get a shadow during the game, during the day, but you're not going to get a shadow at night. Not much of one. Anyways. Not much of one, exactly. Um, the defense, I mean, the defense, I think, was all over Cody Fajardo more in the first half than they were in the second, but they ended up, I think, with, uh, they ended up with six quarterback sacks, but 
Saskatchewan had five, but still we had six. So I mean, it's that was good. They they were get, they were actually getting to him in the first half, but I don't think they hardly did anything in the second because they because Saskatchewan made the they made the changes that they needed to. No, that's that's really what it came down to more than anything else was just being able to and and Brett Lothar going four for four for field goals. Mm-hmm. I mean that was that was pretty much their pointage right there. Yeah. Was, uh, those four field goals. I mean, that made uh, that pretty much made all the difference when it came down to it. For sure. And once again, the Owls think they have something because I will admit, I will admit, Martis Jackson looked amazing. He looked good. He and sure then did. to me, we have to wait and see what happens with the CFL when they announce their um, their, their fines, fines, their fines for the week, their disciplinary whatever actions. Uh, he was uh, Jackson was put out on what to me was a borderline dirty hit and he left with a concussion in the uh, was it the second half yeah he uh, he took a shot and i mean no flag which there should have been one again <laughs> yeah well what if it I was mean, al bradbury's ref refing crew well it, yeah he was the referee so i mean like I he's, <laughs> he, he's got to own that one but but yeah i mean and so then Darius pickett took over uh, Quan did uh, one punt return. So the Owls have made, we'll go over the uh, the transactions in the second half on what they, uh, the show, what, what they did. But yeah. Martise Jackson right now is still dealing with uh, concussion, uh, concussion like uh, uh, symptoms. I don't believe he's been completely cleared. So he has, he practiced today. Oh, he did practice. Oh, he that's did right. practice that's... today. Yeah. But yep. still, concussion is a scary thing. So I mean, obviously. Oh, I agree, dude. I agree. Every precaution will ha- will have to be taken for sure. So, double check. But if he's out, if he's practicing, then that's the, definitely a positive sign. Double checking right now. We'll see you tomorrow. Uh, anyways, we'll, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. But uh, real quick, since we're talking about him, limited participation. Um, yeah. So yeah, I said there are things, more things to talk about. We have the John Bowman thing we want to talk about. Uh, I I don't think I'm glad they did it, but I don't think he got what he was due. But we'll talk about that in the second half. But you know what, Cliff? We'll talk a little bit more about the game and much more once we finish talking with our our guest this week, uh, Darren Bombing, uh, Bonfire Sports. We'll talk about this this home and home series with the Blue Bombers. Great interview. And uh, when we finish and get back, we'll talk about uh, John Bowman and much, much more. And with it this week to talk about the home and home series with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers is Darren Bombing is with BonfireSports.ca. Hey, Darren, thanks for joining us. Hey, good to be with you guys. How are you? Doing good. Doing good. Ready for the uh, head-to-head. A very important head-to-head, I think, more for the Alouettes than for the Bombers. But, you know, it's still CFL football. And, uh, you know, I think when we were looking at the beginning of the year when people were looking at the at the matchups, I'm sure not very many people looked at this this potential head to head. This head to head was a potential uh, make or break for the Alouettes and how well the uh, the Bombers were doing. But let, first, let's talk about the Bombers themselves, man. I mean, ten and one, uh, one of the best records to start a season for the Bombers. Um, I mean, what is it like in Bomberland, man? Because it's it's just crazy how good this team is this year. Yeah, it has been really impressive. What's it like in Bomberland? Well, fans are happy, and I think a lot of fans are still celebrating and reveling in a uh, you know two-year reign as the Blue Bombers being Grey Cup champions. Mm-hmm. You guys have to remember, this city went 29 years without a Grey Cup championship. Heartbreak in 2007 when quarterback Kevin Glenn threw for over 5,000 yards, 
broke his arm in the Eastern final. Uh, and then Ryan Didwood, he got his first CFL start in the Grey Cup and the Blue Bombers lost. Back in 2001, uh, the Bombers lost a regular season finale to the Calgary Stampeders. That got the Stampeders into the playoffs, and then they go on to beat the Blue Bombers in the Grey Cup. Uh, 2011, they were in the Grey Cup game playing against um, Andrew Harris um, and the BC Lions in Vancouver, which was too uh, high of a hill to climb, and, and the Bombers lost that game. Winnipeg had so much um, history through the 80s and to the 1990 championship, their most recent to 2019, uh, as really being one of those true strengths and, and powerhouses in the CFL. So it was a long drought. So, uh, you know, fans here and, and maybe the generation and a half that went championship list here in Winnipeg, uh, I think they're really drinking it in right now. And, well, just, just to, you know, put a cap on it all, guys, uh, this 10-1 and start, not completely surprising. Maybe, you know, haven't dropped more than just one game so far this season. They've been very fortunate to remain healthy throughout it all. You know, if Andrew Harris has been banged up, there's, uh, you know, fellow Winnipegger Brady Oliveira, who's, you know, shown to be very capable at being a 100-yard power runner, very similar to, to Andrew Harris. Uh, but in the end, it's the way this team uh, is coached. It's this way this team is led, and it doesn't seem to matter if they win 45 nothing over the BC Lions like they did uh, in their last game, or if they win, you know, uh, 18-16 uh, against the Calgary Stampeders like they did earlier this season. Uh, they learn what they learn what they can from that game, flush it, snap and clear is the the term Zach Kolaris likes to use, and they move on to the next week where they're credo every single week is b1 and o so they don't care if they're 10 and 1 or 1 and 10 uh they go into every game uh, with the same mentality and i think that's a huge reason why they've been so successful of course it'll be interesting uh in these final three games of the season uh if, if that um you know mentality stays when they start to maybe take some players out of the lineup rest rust ensuring that, uh, you know, everybody is on the same page and healthy and ready to go uh, for that first playoff game. Uh, of course, we know Winnipeg will be hosting uh, the West Final on December 5th. It is, you know, considering how the Bombers got where they were with that, you know, that late season trade last year. Uh, sorry, two years ago. I've done that all year. Um, <laughs> just getting the new quarterback. I mean, Calaris has been, uh, you know, almost perfect for the team itself this year. I mean, it's... Um, and as you're saying with the running backs, you, you couldn't get any better. I mean, the, the team has, you know, the Bombers have had, I, I'm not going to call it luck because they've had the personnel to do what they need to do this year. And in the CFL, if you have somebody to go down, usually you need somebody to, uh, to take their place. And obviously that's what's happened, uh, to the Bombers this year. No, they've had fantastic depth. And I think, you know, uh, it, it goes to, um, you know, a huge credit to general manager Kyle Walters. And when he took this job over on an interim basis in 2013, he made a trade that caught the attention of a lot of people here in Winnipeg. But here we are, uh, you know, almost a decade later, and it's still paying dividends. They sent, uh, I believe Alex Hall was leading the CFL in sacks that season, and they traded him 
to Saskatchewan, who I think went on to win the Grey Cup that year, mm-hmm. um, for Canadian offensive lineman Patrick Newfeld. Well, Newfeld is a huge uh, veteran leader inside this Blue Bombers locker room. They have a lot of them, but Newfeld is definitely amongst uh, the top there. Uh, he's a Canadian, and he's an extremely versatile and strong offensive lineman. When Jamarcus Hardrick, all-star right tackle, went down to injury a couple weeks ago, there's Pat Newfeld able to step in and, and play, uh, you know, a ratio breaking spot on the edge of, um, you know, one of the best offensive lines in the CFL. And it all started there for Kyle Walters and, and making smart trades, acquiring Canadian talent, stockpiling draft picks and high draft picks, using those on maybe not sexy choices, but smart choices. And knowing that in the CFL, there's, Three factors, and and Kyle Walters has told me this himself, strong offensive line play, strong special teams play, and those two are tied up in having great Canadian talent. And thirdly, a good kicking game. Quarterbacking has been the one area Winnipeg maybe hasn't been amongst the upper echelon in the CFL during Kyle Walters' uh, tenure as general manager. But then when they swung that trade that you that you referred to late in 2019, mm-hmm. Zach Kolaris, was he damaged goods? Well, he went on to win four straight games, the regular season finale, and those three games in the Grey Cup, of course, uh, helped by a, a very strong performance by the defense in those games. And now you have the likes of Brandon Alexander and uh, Jackson Jeffcoat and Willie Jefferson and Adam Big Hill and uh, a ton of other extremely talented defensive players rounding out an important phase of football and you have strong offensive line play and an elite level quarterback in Zach Kolaris. And what do we have? Well, suddenly the blue bombers are head and shoulders above the rest of the CFL. So they did it the hard way. They did it the patient and slow way. And they added the flash at the end and and did it the way Kyle Walters has really kind of hung his hat on. Uh, through his tenure as, as GM in the CFL, he took undervalued assets and developed them into premium assets. He did it with Winston Rose, uh, you know, who was with three different CFL stops before he came to Winnipeg. What happens? CFL All-Star uh, leads the league with nine interceptions and then goes on to the National Football League. He's now back in Winnipeg this week. And, um, you know, it just goes to show that, you know, that culture, that mentality, uh, that family atmosphere that the Blue Bombers have built over the last eight years uh, has really begun, well, and, and for a while now, paid dividends in ways, uh, you know, beyond the performance on the field. Um, so it's been really impressive to watch, but it all started by, uh, you know, bringing in somebody that values Canadian talent, the Canadian draft, youth sports, and, uh, uh, you know, ensuring that, uh, you know, it's not all about, finding the fastest or biggest wide receiver uh, or, uh, you know, the, the six foot two cover corner, uh, you got to, you know, win the game in the trenches mm-hmm. uh, and uh, ensure you got good Canadians that can uh, perform on special teams. Cause that's how you win in this league. Yeah, for sure. Cliff. All right. No, it's interesting that you mentioned all of these, all these moves and there's no question that the bombers have definitely built themselves one heck of a football team. Uh, my concern, though, right now for the Bombers is what happens if Zach Caleros goes down to injury? I mean, there's no Chris Streveler to come in and help out. Uh, is uh, Sean McGuire the guy that's going to be able to help uh, the Bombers if, God forbid, Zach goes down? 
Yeah, well, that's been the biggest question, I would say, or the you know biggest shadow potentially cast over this Blue Bombers team all year. You know, not having a proven kicker, well, they've gone through three now, and the fourth will be Sergio Castillo, who will eventually step in, uh, you know, over the next couple of weeks, guys. But, um, you know, beyond Zach Kolaris, I would say that's the one position group that is the biggest unknown as far as depth behind QB1. And Sean McGuire has six passing attempts through two CFL seasons. He's obviously shown to be an extremely capable uh, short yardage and wedge package quarterback. I think he still leads the league uh, in rushing touchdowns uh, right now as, as you know, he comes in, picks up those first downs, plunges in uh, on short yardage near the goal line. But as far as leading this team, that, that is a huge question mark. I think uh, one of the ways Kyle Walters has been prudent with his salary cap is maybe foregoing some areas um, that other teams deem more important. And that might be, uh, you know, a veteran uh, or pr- more proven commodity uh, at number two quarterback. Um, so would the season jump off the rails if uh, Zach Kolaris went down to injury? Quite possible. Um, but because this team is playing so well through all three phases and they do it, uh, you know, like I've alluded to kind of the hard way with, you know, a power run game, uh, an aggressive defense and, uh, you know, extremely sound special teams. Um, it, it makes you wonder, is this team good enough to win with a unproven, relatively rookie quarterback in Sean McGuire? I can say this, guys, people are hoping uh, that is a conversation that remains in the hypothetical. <laughs> yeah, for, for sure. For sure. Okay, now, because, you know, you look at, you know, what's coming up for the Bombers for the next three weeks is, you know, Cliff and I have talked about this off air before is, you know, you know, concerning do the Bombers start sitting players now or do they do, do they wait next week? But the plus yeah. for the Bombers would be is that if, if need be, if, you know, sit Caleros for a half, let the let your backup come in and maybe you can get a, a few few more reps it just in case you know the worst thing does happen to the bombers i absolutely feel that would be the most prudent thing for the blue bombers to do it will be mike o'Shea's decision ultimately and we asked zach Kolaris about this exact thing earlier this week you know going into this game against the alouettes and uh you know he said hey I want to play in the games. I'm a competitor. I can't imagine anybody who is a competitor wouldn't want to play in the games. But he has had those conversations with Mike O'Shea. Uh, Zach Kolaris will have input into that decision, uh, but it ultimately hangs uh, on the head coach. The one thing in all of this, guys, that to me is the most interesting is that this Blue Bombers team and uh, Mike O'Shea and Kyle Walters in particular, they don't have a lot of experience with this. Uh, they haven't been in this position before. They have always been chasing the Calgary Stampeders or the Saskatchewan Rough Riders or the BC Lions uh, in the West Division standings. They've never been this comfortable with three weeks or, you know, if you include their bye week, four weeks to go with the West Division already locked up and and that comfort um, uh, zone between them and the pack. Uh, So how will they approach this? How um, you know, severe, I guess is one way to put it, um, in how many guys they decide to rest, you know, do you give Sean McGuire a start, not just maybe a half or a quarter or three quarters of a football game? Do you only put him in, uh, if there is a healthy enough lead against 
uh, an opponent. Um, you know, what about Adam Big Hill or Willie Jefferson or some of these guys on the defense? There is a lot of depth there. They've always rotated a lot uh, on defense, especially on the defensive line. Um, and then, of course, uh, anytime you talk about uh, ensuring players are healthy, uh, Andrew Harris comes into that conversation. 34 years of age. He has been nagged by uh, a couple lower body ailments really since day two of training camp when a calf injury snuck up on him. Uh, they rested him through the majority of training camp. He came back, hit a bit of a setback, was not healthy enough uh, to play the beginning of the season. And now it's a knee injury suffered um, uh, against uh, the Edmonton Elks uh, a couple weeks ago on a touchdown run uh, that has Harris uh, unable to practice and has not stepped on the field uh, since mid-October. Um, my opinion is that I don't think we're going to see Andrew Harris until the playoffs at the earliest. I don't think there's any reason uh, to put unnecessary strain or to uh, hurry him back in, in any sort of capacity. Get him as healthy as possible for when they truly need him and need everybody and, and all those horses going. Uh, and that's the West final. But um, other than Andrew Harris, yeah, I'm, I'm very curious to see if we see a little bit more uh, of Sean McGuire. I know Sean McGuire wants to get onto the field because, <laughs> Hey, if, if it's the second half of the Western final, or it's, you know, potentially the gray cup and Zach Kolaris isn't available, they would sure like, uh, you know, a more comfortable Sean McGuire and, and not somebody that, uh, you know, has less than double digit, pass attempts in pro football you know cliff it, it's very funny their situation kind of reminds me of what the alawitz did during their heyday with it when ac was our quarterback because we really did not have a a a decent backup quarterback for the longest time so it's mm. it i well, it, uh, you know obviously i know we're we're rivals for the next two weeks but i mean i don't want to see you know <laughs> i don't want to see zach you know i don't want to see claros go down and because and, it's it's bad for fans it's just heartbreaking if it does happen so but you know like like jim pop did one year for the last game of the year he said ac and he played uh he started adrian mcpherson that one day so and it got him more mm-hmm. reps but right. does it mean uh, well anyways anyways all, all you know i think about the positive obviously nothing but the positive <laughs> <laughs> It's funny that you bring that up, too, because I remember because back in 2009, my very first game in Winnipeg, I went to see it and it was the Alouettes versus the Blue Bombers. The Alouettes, much like the Blue Bombers of today, pretty much had the Eastern Division sewn up mm-hmm. and they'd started mm-hmm. Adrian McPherson. And I remember getting the gears from a lot of Winnipeg fans because the the Bombers were just mopping the floor with the Alouettes because they didn't need to win the game. The Alouettes did. So they... I don't want to say they took the game off necessarily, but I mean, they obviously didn't necessarily put their best foot forward. Whereas Winnipeg needed that game just to get into the playoffs and ultimately didn't. But it's, it's a very interesting dynamic as far as when do you rest your guys and how much rest do you give them and all that. So it's, it'll be interesting for for me. It'll be interesting to see what the blue bombers do versus the Alouettes uh, over the next two games. Oh, for sure. And and speaking of, sorry, sorry, go ahead, Darren. I was just going to say, my my gut feeling is, outside of Andrew Harris, I I don't see Winnipeg doing too much depth rotation in these home-and-home games against the Montreal Alouettes. If anything, it'll be that game in Calgary uh, to to wrap up their regular season. They do have a bye in the playoffs. I think that uh, shakes out extremely well, and um, you know that'll probably be that time, that two-week stretch, that Calgary regular season finale, and, and that first 
uh, playoff bye and, and the division semifinal round where, where Winnipeg will ensure that, um, you know, all their players are able to, uh, you know, ice up and uh, get their bodies where they need to be for the Western final. For sure. Now, you know, obviously these two teams, they've known each other well. I mean, obviously they used to be, you know, uh, major combatants when they were each in the Eastern, when Winnipeg was in the East division. And more recently, you know, you think of what happened in 2017 in Winnipeg where Winnipeg, where the Owls blew a 12 point lead in the last 135 and gave the game to basically gave the game that that's coming from an Owls fan gave, giving the game to the bombers. And then what happened two years ago with the Owls coming back from 24 down to winning these two teams, they may not be in the same division, Darren, but they have quite a bit of history. And, and these two games coming up are going to be very, very fun. No, they, they really do. And, and uh, you know, I can speak to this personally. Here in Winnipeg, Blue Bomber fans flock to the ballpark when the Alouettes are in town. And I think it's for two reasons. One, you know, y- your audience should keep in mind, Manitoba is a bilingual province. We are surrounded, the city of Winnipeg, that is, with French communities and a lot of... Um, uh, you know, French first language speaking people. So there are a lot of Montreal Canadiens fans, uh, a lot of uh, Montreal Expos gear, still very popular uh, around uh, Southern Manitoba. And there are Alouettes fans uh, here as well. Uh, I think the other part of it is kind of what you alluded to um, is that when, uh, you know, the Alouettes reemerged uh, in the CFL and, and during those heydays of, uh, you know, Anthony Calvillo and Ben Calhoun and, and all those uh, great Montreal Alouettes teams um, that the Winnipeg Blue Bombers were a good team too and playing in the East and a real legitimate rivalry grew between two cities uh, quite far apart geographically mm-hmm. um, but uh, maybe culturally not so far apart and um, you know it, the the chance uh, that ring out at IG Field. I remember them, you know, when I used to go uh, as a fan, as a young boy to uh, to Canadian Stadium and Winnipeg Stadium, those chants that would ring out, razzing the Owls, uh, you know, coming back and, you know, razzing the Blue Bombers. Uh, it, it is a unique atmosphere. I think it's a very unique uh, rivalry and, and set of circumstances anytime the Blue Bombers uh, and Alouettes meet. It's going to be a heck of a lot of fun. You know, we were talking about injured quarterbacks a little bit earlier. I'm heartbroken for Vernon Adams Jr. because I was looking at these two games down the schedule and down the calendar when we were kind of at that midpoint of the season when, you know, the Montreal Alouettes had the highest scoring offense in the CFL. And, you know, I'm seeing Geno Lewis and Jake Wineke and, uh, you know, William Stanback and, and uh, you know, VA doing all these great things on the field. At the same time, we're watching this Blue Bombers defense blossom into, you know, one of historic pro- proportions as far as, uh, you know, their level of play on the field. I was looking forward to seeing a top offense uh, and the top defense going head to head. I'm not sure if it's exactly what we'll, we'll see uh, this weekend, guys, with Trevor Harris uh, getting the start. Uh, he really struggled here. Uh, in his final game with the Edmonton Elks. And, and, you know, it just seemed like something was off for him that day. Uh, His completion percentage was well below 50%. I think they had seven straight two and outs uh, during one stretch of the first half uh, there, the the Elks did. So, you know, maybe Trevor Harris will be rejuvenated uh, with with some different receivers and a different offensive system around him. Uh, I'm curious to see how big, the playbook will be or how deep into the playbook uh, he'll be allowed to go. Uh, It's been 
you know, from at kickoff, it'll be 20 days since that trade was announced. Mm-hmm. And that's definitely a concern for myself as well, because I definitely remember Trevor Harris got his lunch eaten for him by the Bombers on two occasions. And I'm I'm sincerely hopeful that he learned his lessons. He learned what not to do against the Bombers. So it's going to be very interesting to see him uh, under center for the Alouettes on, on Saturday. Yeah, and um, i got to say, I'm also looking forward to, to William Stanback. I think he's somebody that isn't getting enough consideration uh, in the CFL today for being a MOP candidate. I think he should definitely be in that conversation in the East Division. Uh, what an impressive player to watch run. Uh, physical, fast and shifty. Uh, one of my favorites in the CFL today. Mm-hmm. No, without question. It's, and that'll be a fun matchup, too, is uh, William Stanbeck versus Brady Oliveira, because I, I, every time I see this kid play, I mean, he's just outstanding. And just to know that he he's more or less cut from the same cloth as Andrew Harris, which is yeah. remarkable to think about. Like, talk about an embarrassment of riches. You've got Andrew Harris, who's unquestionably one of the best Winnipeg-born players in CFL history. He goes down to injury, and who replaces him? Another Winnipeg-born <laughs> running back. I mean, yep. it's, it's, it's remarkable. It's like the no, rich. It, it really, it, it really is remarkable. And and to think they came from the same high school, mm-hmm. Oak Park, in the west side uh, of Winnipeg. You know, Keenan LaFrance is from uh, you know my alma mater, Sturgeon Heights Collegiate. Anthony Coombs uh, as well. Uh, you know, I, I don't know what it is in the water in West Winnipeg. Maybe I didn't drink enough of it uh, as a kid, but uh, it's amazing how uh, these ball carriers uh, in the CFL today uh, are so often from the west side uh, of Winnipeg, you know, where I grew up playing football. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, when it comes to Brady Oliveira, some of the guys in the locker room joke uh, that it's like Uncle Andrew and, and little nephew Brady. Uh, it is a real uh, mentor protege relationship. Uh, between those two and you know for Brady Oliveira whose rookie season in 2019 uh, ended in his first game he had a pretty hellacious broken ankle uh, that happened uh, on a special teams play so while he got a great cup championship ring he definitely didn't uh, you know contribute the way he had hoped uh, he would he showed up in camp you know he was working out with another Winnipegger from Oak Park High School and Nick Dembski, a uh, very impressive player in his own uh, in his own right. Um, those two worked their tail off all winter here in Winnipeg and then throughout the pandemic. Those two showed up to camp in, I think, the best shape I've, I've seen maybe anybody uh, show up uh, to a Blue Bombers camp. They came out like a bat out of heck. Uh, and both of those guys are having phenomenal seasons. Uh, so, you know, it's amazing how a year away uh, from football can, you know, separate those that are truly passionate uh, and invested in being better and being professionals and, and those that uh, are maybe, uh, you know, not as uh, invested emotionally uh, in the game of football. And, um, you know, for the likes of, of Brady Oliveira and, and Nick Dembski, I, I think it's shown on the field this season. Now, the Bombers themselves, are, I think, are a perfect at home this year. The Alouettes are coming in. Uh, have, they have lost the last uh, 7 of 10 in Winnipeg, including the last three. Um, how, do you, how do you see the, this, this first game going, Darren? Because, I mean, it's obviously the, you know, the different atmospheres can change you know, once they head back to Montreal in two weeks. But what, what do you think is going to be happening with, with this game in Winnipeg this week? 
I think you touched on something uh, salient there, and and that's you know there might be a very different dynamic between uh, this first game uh, in Winnipeg and the second game in Montreal. Uh, Winnipeg always talks, and, and I won't I won't say the coach the coaching staff talks uh, at all, if if much at all uh, about this, but the players definitely do, and that's protecting their house. Uh, the Blue Bombers obviously undefeated at home this year; their one loss uh, coming in Toronto. Uh, back in week three by a touchdown. Um, and But the way they play at home, the the atmosphere they've, you know, the players themselves have identified as, as wanting to establish here in Winnipeg is that when you fly into Winnipeg and then you show up uh, at this beautiful uh, IG field, uh, that you're going to be in for a very tough afternoon or evening uh, in the CFL. And uh, I think... I won't say Winnipeg ups their game when they play at home, but there seems to be just a little bit more on the line uh, when these games happen uh, in Winnipeg. Now, of course, however this game shakes out, uh, you know, the last game, the last two games of the regular season, maybe Winnipeg will begin that rotation, kind of like we we talked about a a few minutes ago, guys. Um, But I wouldn't put anything past the Montreal Alouettes. You know, their, their record might be, you know, pretty close to 500 at six and five, but they got a lot to play for. And, you know, I mentioned this to you guys before we started recording this. Uh, I think Kahari Jones is an absolutely exemplary um, and exceptional leader of men. And I can see the way he coaches his guys. I can see the way uh, that they respond to him. Uh, And to me, the Montreal Alouettes are a team uh, that can be dangerous on this final stretch of the season. It's going to be tough. Like, let's, you know, look at it as objectively as we can. Mm-hmm. The Blue Bombers aren't going to take their foot off the gas uh, for anybody right now. But I, I do see the Montreal Alouettes as a team. Um, if, if anybody can put up a fight with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, I think it's a team coached by Kahari Jones. And, well, you know, so often in football, surprise um, and catching your opponent by surprise uh, holds a ton of value. So maybe a Trevor Harris-led offense with a smack-you-in-your-mouth run game uh, with William Standback, uh, and you guys got some good playmakers on defense, uh, so you never know what's going to happen. I think these are going to be two really entertaining football games uh, these next two weeks. And that's all you can ask for is just a good, entertaining football game, especially this season. Like Some games have been outstanding, and some have just been anything but so if we can get two outstanding football games to sort of finish off this season i'd be thrilled regardless of the results well no question like i mean you got hamilton and toronto playing this week you know uh, edmonton's going to be in tough obviously um you know well being in the west but you know they've got these three games in seven days so you almost think you could add wins to the opponent's uh, column uh, in, in all three of those matchups. But, you know, if Montreal is able to, to scrape a win uh, off of the Blue Bombers these next two weeks, and then they get to host the, the Ottawa Red Blacks, uh, you know, uh, on November 19th in that regular season finale, I think Montreal is going to, you know, uh, that, that should help them, uh, you know, settle into uh, a playoff spot. And, uh, you know, I'll be honest, guys, next to the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, two through seven, it's, it's wide open uh, in the CFL this year. I think it could be anybody's, uh, anybody's ball game to take. Yeah, that, uh, without, yeah, I agree. Without question. Yeah, without question. <laughs> uh, without question. Cliff, let's take it home. 
All right. Well, Darren, I, as I said, this is going to be the next two games. Are, I think are going to be a lot of fun. I think uh, whether you're a Bombers fan or Al, Al's fan, I think you're going to be settling in some for some really exciting football. Uh, as far as for you goes, uh, how, how does how do our listeners follow you on social media? How how do they find out about Bonfire Sports? Expl- educate yeah. us on that. <laughs> Yeah, I appreciate that, guys. And, uh, you know, feel free to call me anytime. It's been uh, great talking football with you. Uh, Bonfire Sports is a brand new uh, uh, YouTube channel uh, that I launched here in Winnipeg. Now, we, we talk a little bit of hockey and, and the Jets. Uh, I have a contributor uh, uh, bringing in some NBA uh, analysis as well. But uh, my bread and butter has always been and will always be uh, the Canadian Football League. The legendary Chris Walby joins me every week for pregame coverage ahead of the Blue Bombers games. And we don't just focus on Winnipeg. We focus on uh, the opponents uh, as well. Um, so people can find us on YouTube. Uh, you just search Bonfire Sports or you can go to bonfiresports.ca uh, and find all of our social media links there as well. There you go, folks. I mean, like you, you already follow us on YouTube. You may as well follow Bonfire Sports on YouTube as well. I mean, <laughs> just that's what it's all about is just creating great content for Canadian football fans, and there's nothing better as far as I'm concerned. Darren, we well, thank you so much out. for Darren. We thank you so much for joining us this evening. It was an absolute blast, and uh, let's settle in for a couple of hopefully really exciting football games. Yeah, sincerely, guys, I had a heck of a lot of fun uh, talking ball with you. And, yeah, it's going to be, um, you know, really entertaining football uh, here uh, between uh, Montreal and Winnipeg. The rivalry continues, so uh, settle in and enjoy, everybody. I think it was that was probably one of the best ways to set up this home-and-home home series. Uh, as we were mentioning throughout the entire thing, it's very important, a very important series for the Alouettes because I, I on a, you know, I do think, too, that the Alouettes need to win one of these two to have any shot at winning, uh, getting a home playoff. But we'll get into more of that as we set up the game this coming week. So, Yeah, no, definitely a great, as I said, very insightful chat with Darren Bobbing. Uh, I mean, guy knows his stuff for sure, especially when it comes to all things Winnipeg. So, mm-hmm. folks, by all means, check out Bonfire Sports. It's really good stuff. Uh I mean, especially to like, even if you don't have that Winnipeg uh, focus, uh, just be able to see exactly what he's doing as far as uh, sports goes in in Manitoba. I mean, that that's your guy right there. So you know, shoot him a follow, check him out. Uh, you won't be sorry. Yeah. And speaking of social media, don't forget that we are on social media. You can get it, catch us on Twitter, or Instagram, Facebook. Uh, I Lily. Uh, I think I got them all. Um, you know, Twitter is at Alouettes FL Deck. If you happen to miss any of the previous episodes or want to check out any of our historical episodes of the Flight Deck podcast, you can do so by heading over to, uh, to www.alowitzflightdeck.ca or you can check out any of the, uh, of the podcast servers that are out there. Just do a search for us. But uh, it's it's just more than podcasts, right, Cliff? Absolutely. I mean, you youtube like we're we are on youtube folks and by all means uh you know check us out on youtube if you want to listen to the flight deck in a completely different way but similar because it's still just audio but uh make sure you head over to the youtube uh, as i said search alouette's flight deck podcast uh you know leave a like subscribe to the channel we've got a great contest that's going to be have a great giveaway that's going to be happening as soon as we hit 100 followers so please you know tell everybody tell your friends family 
you know, let everybody know about the Alibis Flight Deck on YouTube. And uh, I tell you, we got a really sweet prize that's going to be giving out. And uh, if you'd rather follow us, uh, you know, on all these other podcast platforms, by all means, do so. Pretty much anywhere you listen to podcasts, you can find the Alouettes Flight Deck. And also, uh, we did mention that we are having a, a giveaway this week from our presenting sponsor of Sport Buff. Uh, we want to congratulate uh, Fonzie Van Dam on Twitter. Uh, you are the winner of the Alouettes shirt. Uh, just make sure you send us your information, DM us on Twitter, and uh, we'll make sure that we get that shirt out to you as quickly as possible. But congratulations. And for all of those uh, who did not, stay tuned. Don't worry. We have some more, uh, some more giveaways coming up very, very soon. So, um, Speaking of giveaways and accolades and, and stuff like that, you know, the... The game on Saturday was, I guess it was, we call it John Bowman Day. Um, John was there. uh, You know, he didn't get to do his, you know, some players get to do their final tours of each each place and, you know, get to retire on their own terms. And and he did, because, you know, if you go back, by the way, we did speak to John in a special episode of the Flight Deck where we talked to him about his career and stuff like that. So go back into the archives and check that one out. That's from this year. Mm -hmm. But, um... I, I don't know. I, I'm so happy that John was there, but I, but in as I alluded to, uh, you know, before the interview, I really felt that the the atmosphere really wasn't there. Maybe because it was raining. Maybe because uh, the, the 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 crowd that wasn't. I mean, he got his due from the from the fans. It's true. You know, he got a huge um, uh, pop when he did a message in French, and I applaud John for doing that. That was amazing. Yes, absolutely. Uh, um, but to me, I just wish I felt that he deserved a little bit more. I mean, he got as I said. It's I, I think what they gave him. I think it was ten minutes. I think mm-hmm. you know they gave him a uh, I guess a commemorative picture. I'm guessing. Yeah, framed like picture or art. Uh, yeah. Thing. I mean. Yeah. I forget what we called it. A lithograph. That's it. Oh, okay. Yeah. But I mean, just to me, I, I wish he would have gotten a little bit more. I said maybe I wish the crowd had, had more, more of a crowd had been there for him. But um, what were your what were your thoughts on on what the, the team did for John? I mean, I'm, make no mistake about it. He definitely deserved to be saluted by everybody, and it was clear that the fans that were in attendance definitely knew who John Bowman was and appreciated everything that he brought for this for this organization. The one thing I I kind of took away from it though was. I mean, it was nice that they showed the video tribute of, you know, featuring some highlights of, you know, his 14 years with the Alouettes. The one thing that kind of weirded me out a little bit was they had Etienne Boulet and Luc Bredon Jardin, teammates of his uh, on those Grey Cup teams, kind of, you know, sending a video message, you know, wishing him all the best and, you know, congratulating him for this this honor. But it was all done in French. And I'm sitting there like, okay, yes, John Bowman lived in Montreal for most of those 14 years. John Bowman did take French classes. Uh, I still wouldn't necessarily qualify him as bilingual. I mean, he, he definitely did a very good job you know, reading the prepared notes that he did in French. So I'll definitely give him props for that. Yeah. I'm not taking that away from him. But it just felt like, okay, like when you do the, one of these video tributes, it's like uh, you, you, you – you, you, I don't know if he really understood what they were talking about. <laughs> I mean, that's. And by the way, what, d- make it be known, we're not going. We're not. This is not a French English thing. Not, but not at all. Not, not at, at all. all. It's just one of the things that you know. This guy, he's not French. Like French is not his native language. And I get you want you. Part of it is 
part of the it's part of the show for the fans in the stands. Yeah, who are you know predominantly French or francophone, but it just felt odd. Like I, I can understand that if you wanted to do like a bilingual sort of thing, like I'll speak a little bit in French and then mostly in English because John Bowman is American, so he you know obviously would feel a lot more comfortable and maybe understand and appreciate these sentiments more if they were spoken in English. Yeah. You know, and again, you could do the whole subtitle thing as well, but Which at I, the same time, it just, I don't know it if it would have been bizarre. able to be read. But I know they they showed. I think they showed. They did uh, have the 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 look back and stuff on. They put it on social media. That I do know. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they put the speeches on social media, but who, who uh, for those who weren't there, who did the speeches besides those two? I mean, it was those two, and that was it. As far as like his uh, former teammates go, why would? Why didn't AC do something? See, that, that surprised the hell out of me. Why didn't AC? Why didn't Anwar Stewart? Yeah. Like ben Cahoon? Yeah. I, mean, I mean, you could swing a dead cat and hit a whole bunch of former teammates. I could have easily taken 30 seconds and, uh, you know, said a few words about I John. Agree. I agree. I don't get it. I mean, I, one thing I, will, I did I mean, take away and I thought was really awesome, though, was uh, the fact that uh, VA on the yes. sidelines yes. was rocking the John Bowman jersey. Loved it. I, I, I thought it was a absolutely perfect uh, tribute to him. One hundred percent, one hundred percent. Kudos, VA. I mean, that's that's VA for you. I mean, like I, I expect nothing less out of our our quarterback. Yeah, but uh, but I mean, don't, it, I, it just, I'm curious to know if Mar if Mario Cicchini is listening or somebody from the team is listening. We are curious to know why was it only those two. I hope I hope it had nothing to do with time constraints. Because 30 seconds is 30 seconds. I understand you gave John the time that you did. He deserved the time to speak how he did and to give his mm-hmm. message to the fans. Right. That I get. But AC? As I said, AC, Cahoon, Anwar Stewart? Uh, yeah. And again, like I'm still baffled as to why. Like, and again, these were heartfelt messages that these guys were giving to John. But again, all in French. Like To me, it just felt bizarre. Like, I, I'm sure John must have been sitting there looking. I'm like, okay, I'm sure they're saying nice things about me, but I don't understand what the heck they're saying. <laughs> like, yeah. I, if he did, and again, I don't want to speak for John Bowman as, as far as his ability to understand the French language, you know, but he's admitted to me in the past, too. Like, he wants, he, he's, he tries very hard with his French. He, he does put in the effort for it, but at the same time, I sure as hell don't expect him to understand what he heard, what he may have heard from his teammates this past Saturday. Right. I'm sure someone gave him the gist of it. And like I said, I have no doubt in my mind that, you know, he understood it to be nothing but complimentary. But at the same time, just, just for the overall aesthetic, aesthetic of this is like, this is bizarre. For a man that played in Montreal as long as he did, it had to be more worth than more than just two people. (laughs) You know what I mean? uh, I hear you 100%. And yeah, and the fact that you know AC didn't say anything, or any coaches, or Anwar, or any of these guys, like it's just it felt odd. Unless they're unless they're saving it for his Hall of Fame induction, which is going to happen. Yeah, when the time comes. But at the same time, it just felt it felt off a little bit. Yeah, no, I agree. I I, I said I, something was off. I agree with you on this one. I, I do one hundred percent. Yeah, one hundred percent. Um. But John, we'll miss you, dude. You know that. Uh, I said, go back and listen to the uh, interview that we did earlier this year for the podcast. Uh, it was uh, it, it was very it was very enlightening, and as I said, it, it was a special interview that we had just specifically with him. Um, 
to uh, yeah, we were we were very fortunate to be able to speak with John and give yeah. him an opportunity that you know not, maybe not everybody gets when when it comes to having as long a career as what he did and maybe sometimes you don't always get those accolades for any number of reasons so we wanted to make sure we gave him his space and his chance to you know reflect back on his illustrious career and you know it, it's definitely a great listen folks so by all means go to alouettesflightdeck.ca find the john bowman episode yeah. and definitely give it a listen which is episode 130 uh season six episode eight so july july 14th of this year so yeah hit, listen to him it, it's it's well worth the listen talking about accolades you know we had we swept the the uh we swept the the league um players, players of the week, week last week, week. But yep. but something surprisingly came about this week, and we had a, a player of the month. Player of the month, and that just speaks to just how how well this defense has been playing these past few games. Because uh, one David Menard, the defensive lineman for the Montreal Alouettes, was recognized as one of the three players of the month by the Canadian Football League, mm-hmm. which is should come as no surprise because he has been playing lights out football for the Alouettes, and the best part he's not a starter on the defensive line. Like he, he's a sub and he has been like, every time he gets on the field, like he hunts down quarterbacks. He makes plays happen. I mean, it's, he has been, as far as I'm concerned, one of the major talking points, as far as this Alouette's defense goes, like he has been phenomenal in his role for the Alouettes. Mm. Uh, I mean, like I, I laughed because when he was initially signed, like my first thought was a little bit, bit of an eye roll because He's a former Montreal Caribbean, so of course Danny Machocha is going to sign all the Caribbeans. Okay, sure, fine, you know. And he had a decent enough career out in BC, but like it, this really just felt like okay, it was one of those feel-good homecoming homecoming stories for the Alouettes. Like okay, fine, you got to have those, I suppose. But you know what? He has really stepped up big time in this defense, and he's killing it out there. I I walk away from every game just impressed with everything he has done so far this season i mean david menard has definitely made this alouette's defense dangerous like you want to talk about improving the defensive line you've got guys like woody baron you've got well you had i should say antonio simmons but uh guys like woody baron nick usher michael wakefield like these guys have really come alive for this team uh jamal davis who made Antonio Simmons expendable. He's been playing some outstanding football as well, but David Menard, like, you know, every time he's on the field, he is hunting quarterbacks and more often than not, he's going to come through with that sack or he's going to, you know, force a fumble or even just a pass breakup at the line is incredible. Like like, this, this is a guy that has really truly impressed me as far as his football skill goes. And yeah, I mean, this, this accolade is definitely well worth it as far as I'm concerned. Like he, he has definitely shown up and shown out for the Alouettes mm-hmm. this season. So you, you got to give him his props, man. He yep. he did an outstanding job so far, and I'm really curious to see how much further he can go as the Montreal Alouettes finish this season and hopefully get into the playoffs as well. Yep. Well, um, leading into this week, you know, we were talking about it before on the um, when it comes to who the Alouettes signed based off of you know injury reports, but you know the injury report as of this episode. Uh, that we're taping it on the third is that you know obviously we're having an issue we don't know what's going to happen again at return well it, it might be a little bit clear we'll find out though as the as the week go, goes along and as their injury report as the injury report um what is it uh like sands to the hourglass so are the injury reports of our lives um <laughs> that was so dumb um <laughs> but dante after seems to be healthy 
uh, full participation, but he, you know, he's a healthy scratch. Cameron Artis Payne, same thing. He's a healthy scratch, but full participation. Philip Gagnon, lower leg, full participation. Uh, Taiwan Glass, uh, healthy scratch, full participation. Um, Brian. Herlevana. Thank you. Thank you. Ankle did not participate. We know an- an- that can be bad. Uh, yeah. an- ankles yeah. can be bad. Um, as we said before, Martise Jackson, the concussion, limited participation. Cameron Lawson, a healthy scratch, full participation. Frederick uh, Plesis, healthy scratch, full participation. Matthew Schiltz, knee, did not participate. We've already found out the news about that, but we'll continue with that in a couple of minutes here. Mm-hmm. Wesley Sutton, healthy scratch. And Jake Winicky, not injury-related, but he, and he did not re- participate. So still, we got to keep an eye on these injury reports. Yes, they certainly are starting to tell the tale as far as what to look forward to in the next game. Yeah, for sure. So from there, we thought that there's a potential that the Alouettes are going to be going in a certain direction when it came to returns because the Owls uh, announced on the 2nd on Tuesday that they picked up again or signed again Fabian Guerra a uh, wide receiver out of Fairmont State. He was the uh, co-rookie of the year in the Arena Football League in 2019. Uh, had signed with the Alouettes originally um, and then opted out, which the players were allowed to do for COVID, and he went and played in the Spring League. Uh, and they also picked up uh, Christian uh, Olmstead, uh, a, a lineman. Um, what's funny is knowing that uh, with Fabian could easily be a contender to be a returner especially with his history, even though he is a great wide receiver in the, in the arena league. If anybody saw, uh, there is a, a reel online of something that he did in one game in 2019 when he was playing for the Columbus destroyers on his returns. So he would be a perfect fit in my opinion, to do returns for the Alouettes. Um, but, uh, but from what we're seeing from what they're, they're showing on the transactions page for the CFL, he's currently been placed on the practice roster. That could change, obviously, but, you know, so he's already cleared his protocol because he was actually signed. When did they sign him? On the 28th? What did I say? Yeah. Uh, on this, yeah, on the 28th. Yeah, 28th. Al's also put Rayshon Simon as the Canadian wide receiver onto the practice roster. Does that surprise you? Yes and no. I mean, national receiver, especially for the Alouettes, is always, has always been a bit of a tricky, tricky spot. Uh, Kion Julian Grant has been outstanding this year, yeah, and he is our default national receiver. Yeah. Uh, you know that the Alouettes do not tend to carry more than two national receivers on an active roster at any time. It's just not something that they focus their Canadian content on is the receiver position. And why would you when you have the outstanding receivers that you already do that are American? Mm-hmm. At the same time, though, you do want to help develop that position, but uh, Kion Julian Grant has been phenomenal this year. He has, he's really made some outstanding plays and you just know that it, it's just a matter of time before he really breaks out and becomes that guy. Yeah. Uh, and Rashawn was backing him up and you know, when, when he's out there and he's out, been out on special teams as well. And you know, he's been doing the job as well, but uh, so is Richard White uh, Jr. He's been, he's been doing well too, you know, in place of BJ Cunningham. So exactly. I mean, it's, it's tough. I mean, being a receiver, I mean, especially a national receiver is it's been like this for years in Montreal, folks. I mean, it's just it's I've joked that it's you're kind of like the redheaded stepchild on the team because, you know, there's so many outstanding 
American receiver is that the national receiver will come up and it's like, oh, uh, okay. It's almost like a token position at that point. And yeah, it's just like you really do have to be outstanding. You got to be making plays like like nobody's business to just get noticed if you're a national receiver for the Alouettes. Right. And by and large, Kion has been doing that. So that being said, Rashawn, you know, is he's doing his thing on special teams and that's great. But uh, and I'd love to, I would personally love to see him actually on the field and being able to make plays as well. But it just hasn't quite materialized yet. So. You know, back to the practice roster he goes, and uh, if injuries happen, things will change. I mean, that's that's just what it is. I mean, trying to juggle the ratio, too, is always difficult, especially, too, with the fact that most of our national talent ends up on the offensive line. And as I said, this offensive line has definitely been through the ringer this season, injury-wise. So that seems to be where the focus is when it comes to your Canadian content. So in a case like that, I mean, unless Rashawn wants to, you know, put on like 40 pounds and uh, line up beside uh, Christian Matt and uh, David Foucault, then, uh, then maybe he can get into it <laughs> yeah. a little more often, but I personally wouldn't recommend that myself, but now, that's me. Here's a question. I, I had just looked this up while we, while you were talking. Mm-hmm. Mari Alford was placed on the, on the six game injured list on September 23rd. If my math is correct, he's eligible to come off as of this Thursday, the fourth. If I, if my math is correct. Mm-hmm. He's eligible to come off. So will he? See, that's the thing. So I, I don't know what. I, we'll have to wait. And, we'll have to wait and see. I, I got a sneaking suspicion he won't. If he did, he, they may. If he, uh, if he's healing properly, that's the thing. That's the main thing, obviously. That is the main thing. Because same thing, you know, VA may be on the sixth game, but it doesn't mean he's going to be back after six games. Right. Um, and not, that unless he's Bowley, just about anybody. Bowley by Mitchell. Um, <laughs> or Michael Riley. Or Michael Riley. Um, so uh, Trevor Harris, <laughs> neck there injury, you go. neck injury. <laughs> um, so we'll, we'll have to see. But as I said, I think we have some good guys who could potentially, Jackson was just, just doing a great job. <laughs> yeah, I, lo- I was so happy with, with how he was moving. So, but yeah, he, he didn't miss a step as far as I'm yeah, concerned. Like yeah. he, he hadn't been, he hadn't been playing in almost two years, but you wouldn't, you wouldn't have been able to tell. No. I mean, it's just, and I wow. think he was, <laughs> wasn't he also, Alice did well in, um, penalties this week, but I think one of his returns was nullified by a penalty. Yeah, that's yeah, so. N- never fun, but you know that's that's the business sometimes. But uh, yeah, no, I, I definitely hope that uh, Mar- Martiz can get you know through this uh, concussion protocol and you know just be more than just a limited participant in practice. Like I, I'd like to see him back and back on the field, but yeah. at a hundred percent, that's I can't make that clear enough. You know, it, could you imagine if? We get Mario Alford and Martise Jackson both on the field returning kicks. I know. Ooh. Well, we talk about that. We talk about that, and Cameron Harness Payne and, and William Stanbeck being in the being the backfield at the same time. I, I still want to see that happen. <laughs> I still want to see that happen. And again, maybe that maybe that's the secret weapon, kind of waiting for like once we get into the playoffs, is that maybe that's the uh, you know the ace up uh, Kahari sleeve. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Um, just real quick before we talk about the the game this week, um, uh, Patrick Davis, who had been on the active roster, is now back onto the onto the uh, on onto the practice roster. Um, uh, Christian Olmstead and Fabian Guerra were also placed on the practice roster. They've cleared their uh, quarantine. Mm-hmm. Did I forget anybody else? I think that's, that's leading back to the 29th. So yeah, yeah I think we're okay. Yeah, I think that's it. Uh, Rashad cleared. C L I E T T. Cleat, yes. Yeah, he was. He was also. 
he was added to free agent, so I don't know if he was play. I can't I have to go back and check if he was placed on the practice roster or if he was placed actually if he was actually released by the team. I'll have to double check. So the game this week, we had obviously the news that Trevor Harris will be starting um, with Matthew Schultz's injury. Uh, interesting note that came across when we were doing research for the show um, earlier tonight is that, and this is actually pretty cool, and I'm, I don't know if it'll show up in the league stats or not, the pregame stats, but I hope it does, that Trevor Harris is actually 3-0 and in his first ever starts for his new teams. Oh. Could bode well. Could be, could be. Could bode uh, well. Um, as I said in the interview, the Alouettes have lost uh, their last seven of ten in in Winnipeg. in Winnipeg. And what didn't get into the interview is what we're talking about now is, for some reason, Cliff, the sports books have Winnipeg favored by 12 and a half points. <laughs> That's hilarious. A higher, a higher amount, a higher spread than the, uh, than the Ottawa-Toronto game. Wow. I was, and I, I'm like, what? <laughs> I mean, l- l- make no mistake. Winnipeg has been the class of this league in 2021, without question. Yeah. They've only lost once this year. Yeah. So, I mean, th- this is a very, very, very good football team. We will not take anything away from that. Not at all. But at the same time, they've got nothing to play for. I There's a big part of me that thinks, yeah, you want to go out and you want to compete. You want to still show everyone that you are who your record says you are. But at the same time, do you really want to risk injury? And like to me, I, I'm curious. I'm really curious to see the over these next two games, how many starters are actually going to be playing, or how long they'll be playing for if mm-hmm. they do start. Because my concern for the Blue Bombers is if Zach Caleros, God forbid, he gets hurt, in comes Sean McGuire. Who? Yeah, Sean McGuire. Like who the hell is Sean McGuire? Like he. As as as, as we talked about, like he's, he's he's seen very limited action for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, and again, when you you go ten and one with Zach Caleros, I mean, of course you're going to see limited action, but th- <laughs> this is the time of year you want to make sure that Zach Caleros is safe because that is your bread and butter right there, folks. If you're the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, mm-hmm. you want to make sure your quarterback. I mean, I can't stress how important a good quarterback is in this league. You see it league wide how important a good quarterback is to a football team. If Zach Claros goes down to injury, there's a big, big problem in Winnipeg all of a sudden. Yeah. So just, I, I don't, I, I don't want to say the compete level won't be there for the blue bombers. I'm sure it will be because they are just that good of a football team. But at the same time, one could understand if they don't maybe put, you know, pedal to the metal when it comes to these two games, because nothing's going to change in the standings from them. You know, that, they're going to be hosting the Western final at IG field in Winnipeg and the blue bombers are going to be hosting whoever it is that makes it through the West. That's a given. We we've known that now for a couple of weeks. Yep. I mean, it's, it's a done deal. So now you look at these two next two games, Montreal needs, the, they need to win. They need to qualify for the playoffs and, and, and they're going to be they're They're, they're definitely going to be putting their best foot true. forward. They and, have and, no choice. And, and I think that's kind of secondary this week. And it's weird for me to say that because it's very possible. And I didn't mention before the beginning of the, of the show is that, you know, I kind of hated it when the Owls put the put the Toronto game, the Toronto BC game on the screen, because obviously we were delayed because of it. And I guess they're trying to say why we we're being delayed. But if BC, if Ham was funny. It, do I would I cheer for Hamilton this week? Because if Hamilton beats BC this week on Friday, the Owls clinch a playoff spot. 
Right, because and, it would essentially eliminate the crossover. It, no, it would. I just not essentially it would. Okay, then Cro- well. the crossover spot. If BC loses, they're done. No team will make a crossover because a team has to have more points. The fourth place team in the West has to have more than more points in the, than the third place team in the East. Mm-hmm. It'll be done. Right. So Montreal wins or BC lost and they clinch. Yes. Hamilton win or a tie, they clinch. Obviously, because it will be seven wins. That, that that that's what it was last week for the Owls too. It was seven wins and they're in. Right. Um. I. I it, It'll be very interesting to see what, again, I don't know what the storyline is this week because, you know, you talk about backup quarterbacks. God forbid Trevor Harris goes down. Look, look who our backup quarterback is, too. Mm-hmm. See, that, that's, 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 that's the issue also. And there's also another thing that uh, came to light as well, uh, thanks to uh, Three Down Nation mm-hmm. of, all, of all places. Uh, remember how I talk about Trevor Harris being the insurance policy the very expensive insurance policy yeah well i'll explain to you why i call him that because uh you know and this is why you've we've also got well i say we but uh, why <laughs> the alouettes essentially have to be very careful when it comes to it comes to his uh his particip- participation in these next few games yeah uh, he has a three hundred thousand dollar signing or three hundred thousand dollar bonus due February first. That's right. Yeah. Which is normal, by the way. That that's the normal date for all what seems to be most all uh, bonuses. Right. But if Trevor Harris gets hurt, as in like blows an Achilles or tears an ACL, the Alouettes can't cut him. They got to eat that money. Oh crap! Yeah. When I say this is an expensive insurance policy, this is potentially. A very expensive insurance policy. Yeah, because if he if he gets through, and again, I, you know, this is one of those decisions that have to be made in the off season, depending on how Trevor Harris does with the Alouettes to end this season. You got to make a decision as far as you got Ferdinand Adams, who will you know is signed through twenty twenty two. You got Trevor Harris, who in theory is signed through twenty twenty two as well. Yep, you're paying a lot of money for like you think yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, I mean, there can be say, well, huge ramifications potentially for the, for the 2020, 2021 off season. So when I say, you know, if Matthew Schilt, but you know, if he's not healthy and can't go, like you got to put Trevor Harris in there. This, this is, this is some scary stuff. folks. I, I mean, I, I'm trying to wrap my head around. And it's nothing against this, Trevor. It's, Wait, nothing against it, Trevor Harris. I was happy that he came in. He needed well. I want him to win this week for the Alouettes. I like to do that for him to be 4-0 for the first games of his new teams. I, I would love that. I want that to happen. But I get that, you know, when, but right now we have locked up between two quarterbacks uh, a million bucks. A million bucks. Yep. Roughly. And a salary cap that's $5 million. I mean, that's... 20% of your salary cap in two players. I mean, and they can't both play at the same time. Well, it was the same position. That's the thing. Cause we can have some higher, you know, wide, we have some high, one of the higher priced wide receivers in the league, et cetera. And with some of our linemen and, you know, that thing too. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, this is, this is a million bucks in two quarterbacks. I, I again, I applaud Danny Machocha for, you know, essentially making sure that when Vernon Adams went down, that there was a plan in place. Yeah. But I mean, this is this is definitely risky, very risky propositions here. So I mean, if, if Trevor Harris goes down to injury, I think we're all going to be holding our breath and hoping that it's nothing severe. Because, yeah, I mean that that's that's a lot to eat. 
three hundred K is a lot to eat come February first. Yep. I know. <laughs> and if he's if if he's injured, then Again, you can't cut him. We don't that, want, that's the thing. <laughs> we don't you're want, stuck with him. We don't want to think about that. That's the thing. We, we don't want to think about that. <sighs> no, but it can't help but be in the back of your mind as you watch him. Like I mean I just I know. I know. I get that. And and it's a very it's a very good point. But again, fingers crossed. Um yeah. <laughs> that being said, yes, that, we yeah. want Trevor Harris to succeed. Exactly. Like, hey, make the mistake. We definitely want Trevor Harris and the LOS to succeed. We just Ooh, we just hope it doesn't come at a very high price tag when it's all said and done. Exactly. Um, by the way, I can't give a, a, a I can't give an update as of the moment. I think I didn't receive the. It's funny, actually, I didn't receive the schedule for the uh, for their practice this week. Um, I do not know. I'm checking right now as we speak on see, Saturday. Uh, it's very possible that the game is the game will be broadcast online at, T, at tsn.ca, tsn690.ca, because the Habs have a game at the same time. Mm. So if I get that information, I'll make sure I pass that along. Yeah. Um, but anyways, it, we're hoping for a great home and home. I, I do think I think the Alouettes do in order to stay in the hunt for a play, home playoff spot, they need to at least they need to take one of two of these games, but they also need some help. From the Western teams, and and obviously the that stretch coming up now uh, for Edmonton and Toronto, you know uh, the multiple games in a short period of time, a uh, period of time. So fingers crossed, fingers crossed that we have that home playoff game. But you know, well, game by game. That's it. In a lot of ways, Montreal does control their own playoff destiny. So it's just a matter of got to win. You got to find a way to win. Uh, I say it won't be a gimme by any stretch from uh, from the Bombers, but. Uh, you just never know. Like Tim, they they've played some really good road games this year. So it's true. They got a better they got a better home record than they do. They got a better road record than they do at home. So yeah. So that could end up working in uh, in Montreal's favor. Between that and the fact that honestly, I don't see Winnipeg wanting to overexert themselves for this game that essentially means nothing to them. Like they know they have to play it. They got to get through it. But I, I I am really curious to see what the compete level is going to be like for the Blue Bombers, knowing full well that Montreal needs this game a hell of a lot more than they do. So, yep, I agree. I guess we'll we'll see, we'll see what happens Saturday night. But uh, you know, I, I think no matter what, uh, these next two games are really going to tell the tale for the Alouettes, and I'm I'm all for it. For I'm sure. all for it seeing what this team is going to be able to do, especially too. They say to be the man, you have to beat the man. Right now. The Winnipeg Blue Bombers are the men in the CFL. So if you can have a good showing and God forbid you steal a game from one of the one of these games from them, that's going to like that. You, yeah. you always talk about who have the Alouettes beat. Well, guess what? Yeah, the Alouettes have beaten the Red Blacks three times. OK, maybe not so impressive. Beaten the Elks. Not so impressive, maybe. That was bad, but that was week one. Right. But again, every time that the Alouettes have taken on a first place team, they've won as well. Think about it. When they beat the Tiger Cats in Hamilton, that's true. They were in first place. When they beat the Argos here in Montreal, the Argos were in first place. Good point. Fingers Winnipeg. crossed. Winnipeg's currently in first place, and we'll stay that way. But yep, fingers crossed. Can lightning strike? Can lightning strike for a third time? Tune in, folks. That's all I gotta say. Tune in. So keep keep uh, keep a, keep looking at our social media for any information that may break or any information that we do come across. Um, enjoy the game on TV this week, uh, Alouette fans, and uh, uh, get ready for the uh, for the game coming up uh, next Saturday, one o'clock. 
1 p.m. But we'll talk about that game next week. So, Cliff, I'll talk to you soon. And everybody else, we hope you enjoy the game. So, if everybody here at the Alouette's Flight Deck, for Cliffy D, I'm Tim Capper. One final approach. Thanks for listening. Find more great shows like this at CF Pod Network on Twitter.